Welcome to Lab Sessions. I'm Zach Elliott. I love people, and I get to learn from some of the best. This show gives me a chance to invite you to join me in pursuit of more life and more beauty. Here's to that pursuit and to the conversations ahead. All right, here we go. I say it every single time, uh, but I, I really do have the privilege of knowing and learning from some truly incredible people. And I believe that people are treasures, everybody. There's no mere mortals. And because of that, there's tremendous value in spending time and learning from people from different perspectives, different backgrounds, people with a diverse mix of experiences. And that not only helps us in our own journeys, but it helps us contribute more life and more beauty in the world. That's Lab Sessions. This is just a place we can meet and listen and grow, and then we get to rise and go from here. So that's the goal. That's the hope. And we couldn't do it without you who are listening. So I'm grateful that you're listening and joining the conversation. Obviously, if you've got questions, you can reach out. My contact will be at the end. end and you can uh, please send us questions, send us follow-up stuff, stuff that I didn't think to ask. But I'm glad you're here. And I am honored to share some time with possibly the smartest person that I've ever met. And I've met some pretty smart people. And so first, no offense to all of you who are listening, who I have already met. But my next guest is the Futures Chief at Special Operations Command's Science Directorate. He's a former Marine. He's an officer who's served in the Navy on a submarine, literally a rocket scientist and a nuclear physicist, all smashed into one. And he's still got time to be a dad. He's a husband. He's a guy who's a man of faith, and I've watched his life and his character, and he's just one of those people that you are privileged to know and meet. So I can't wait to introduce my next guest is Commander Brian Sisko. Brian, thank you for hanging out with us. How are you doing uh, in quarantine? Are you on a submarine, or what are you doing? I'm not, Zach. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, and, and no pressure to live up to that, right? Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, you did uh, that. No, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing great. Uh, uh, thank you for having me on the, uh, the thing I was working on right beforehand, though. I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to take some time with this. Uh, literally 20 minutes ago, I'm trying to juggle uh, writing up some notes to my boss on uh, some futures concepts that, we're, that she's briefing to Congress today. Uh, meanwhile, I've got my almost three-year-old coming in saying, Daddy, look at my bubbles. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be able to, to take some time and, and talk to you and your listeners on this. This is going to be fun. Well, I love it. And when we find out that some spec operator is using bubbles in the future, we'll know exactly where that made it into the notes for the Congress briefing. <laughs> we're, we're not going to be talking about that right now. We're going to stay in, in unclass realms, I think. I love thank it. you. I love it. These are where our ideas come from. And this is so crazy, the world we live in, right? Like you're briefing Congress and your daughter is blowing bubbles and we're all in just this weird mix of life, right? It's strange, super strange, which is why it's cool to have you. I've wanted to have this conversation since I stowed away on a class field trip to see your office. And I really didn't know what I was getting into. Um, but, and I won't give anything away. I won't tip the hat of where you work, but it was it, we went into your office it was equal part science fiction movie set yeah you know, with like predator suits and tony stark stuff and then on the other half just a regular nondescript government building 
but there were restrictions on what we could see, what we could take pictures of, and that obviously just made it even cooler. So I'm not really sure that I fully understand who you are or who you work for, but I know this, you're part of leading the conversation and the work to think about challenges that might face the special forces, America's special forces, and what solutions we can dream up to meet those. So the only way I can describe it is to say you're basically Stony T- Tony Stark without the power thing in your chest, as far as I know. Is that fair to say, or I'm going to give you a chance to like set that right? But that's the picture I have, man. So, so at the risk of blowing up the bubble that that I've somehow created inside your head, <laughs> I am uh, neither a playboy, nor a philanthropist, nor a genius, nor a billionaire. So it's no, not really Tony Stark, though sometimes the best parts of me come after I've been at a bottle. Um, Got it. The, the, uh, actually, the, the coolest way when I, when I do put my egotistical hat on, um, I like to tell my kids I'm kind of like Q from James Bond, right? Like, I'm the guy that's sitting in the background. I'm not the dude that goes out and does cool things and busts down doors. Uh, I'm the guy sitting in the back trying to help create something somewhere that maybe those guys can use that's kind of futuristic. I build one or two of them or three of them to do experiments to see if they work. And then we try to see if uh, what the operators think about them and, and go on their way. Um it's actually just a lot more boring than that, though, because we, as you can imagine, lots of people can can invent widgets and, and do great things with, you know, pieces of software, build an app or, or build some uh, thing that can go on to something. Um, it's a lot harder to take it from a concept level and then build programs around it so that you don't miss out on the things that, that you have to have. Um, that if you build an app, you you don't forget that you might need an encryption code to go into that. Or if you build a, a weapon, you may not have the right level of ammunition that goes into that or something like that. So um, the the geekier side of what I do, the, the bo- more boring side of what I do uh, is actually probably the more rewarding for me, which is building those those huge puzzles and finding out the experiments and the inventions and the, the outreach that you need to do to be able to make those concepts a reality. Well, it's insane. Like you talk about Q, I think about Batman when he goes down and he like sees the warehouse and, and all of the thing, all the future type of futuristic vehicles and stuff that people have been building. That's, that's where you work. That's the world you inhabit. And this title of futures, like chief of Fu- futures chief, what, I mean, I mentioned it a little bit, served in the Marines, submarine officer, Really quick for people who are listening so that we, as we get into this conversation, they have a sense of like, I mean, that's when I grow up, I want to be a futures chief. Like, <laughs> how do you even end up? Yeah. How do you even end up at that job? Uh, so it, it really is just, you know, a, a set of uh, fortunate and sometimes unfortunate blessings along the way. Um, I, I would have, so first of all, I'll say, if you would have asked me 25 years ago, Brian, if you're going to get to be here someday, map out how you're going to get there. It would have been the most convoluted. <laughs> it's not even close to the way it's supposed to go, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so so a little bit about my story. Um, as you said, uh, I was a you know prior enlisted Marine. I, I enlisted when I was 17 and and spent about three years in the Marine Corps. Um, I was fortunate to get picked up through a Marine program to get to go to the Naval Academy. Which um, again, I'm I'm not really the type of guy who has the 4.0 and 1600 SAT and captain of the football team that normally gets into the Naval Academy. Uh, but it was uh, just again a, a fortunate. You know, I was I was able to be a, a pretty good Marine rather than being a, an outstanding student, and so I was able to get in that way. <laughs> 
And then uh, once I got there, I was like, you know, I really enjoy history. I really enjoy like learning about the past, military strategy, things like that. And then when we were taking our tours, our freshman summer going around and I saw the aerospace engineering lab back there and I was like, it would be a crime against humanity for me to spend four years studying something at college and not using a wind tunnel and a hypersonic lab and, and all these great things that they've got there. So uh, to the detriment of my GPA and my social life, I, I became an aerospace <laughs> engineer and, uh, and graduated from there. Were, uh, with a degree in aerospace were at the time i'll just pause you really quick at that moment was there an end goal like i'm i'm going to be an aerospace engineer i want to invent space shuttles or fly space no, it, shuttles like what were it you was actually no that's a great question um, it was actually more that uh i i had just had this thing in my mind that uh i really enjoyed uh space and kind of futuristic concepts not from necessarily a science fiction perspective uh where you know i was I knew about Star Trek and Star Wars, but I was never really a, a huge fanboy of, of those things. Um, but I loved planetary science. I loved, you know, reading about all the stuff. You know, I was a, a kid in elementary school when the Voyagers were all going through and doing their thing. And I remember sitting in, in fourth grade science class and, and having the laser disc pop up of, you know, all the Voyager pictures. And, and I'm just thinking, like, this is the coolest stuff ever. Like, how do I get to do this? Uh, well, you've got to be an astronaut, right? And so when I got to the academy, we're going through all these things. I said, look, i got to be a fighter pilot so I can go to test pilot school so I can become an astronaut. And then once I'm an astronaut, I can go to space and do all this cool space stuff. And and again, you know, plans convoluted and, and did not absolutely work out at all like I was intending them to. Uh, barely graduated with aerospace, but I did get to do a lot of great work on uh, aerospace vehicle design, computational fluid dynamics, and a bunch of the stuff that uh, kind of today grew me into being able to look at at a, a system of systems that is not just power, not just an airframe, not just electronics, not just a pilot and, and human machine interface, but all these things have to go together to make the overall product what you want it to be. Um, Man. Yeah. Where did the submarine part come in? Like, how did you go from <laughs> space to living in quarantine underwater? Uh, so... <laughs> When, when uh, my senior year, uh, actually through uh, a long and involved story, but uh, um, one of the things that generally happens for uh, for academy midshipmen between your junior and senior year is that uh, you all the people who want to select Marine Corps at the end of their uh, at the end of their time in, at the academy uh, go to this. I call it summer camp. It's called Leatherneck, but it's basically a, a prerequisite for their officer candidate school. And you go to, to Quantico and you, you work with the Marines and, and their uh, instructors for you know, most of the summer and, and do all that. I actually, three weeks prior to that, had uh, gone bouldering at Great Falls in Virginia. Uh, shouts to uh, the Potomac, right? Mm -hmm. And while bouldering there, uh, fell about 15 feet when a piece of shit shale snapped off my hand mm. and I ended up breaking my foot. So I spent most of the summer of uh, 2000 in a walking boot, um, not really able to go to that, uh, that summer camp. Uh, summer camp. <laughs> yeah. and, and so uh, through a bunch of other things that happened, it just more and more doors started open to kind of push me away from going back into the Marines and, and to take a look at this submarine aspect. And, uh, one of these days, uh, you know, over a couple of, of frosted beverages, maybe we'll talk about the, uh, the interview that I had with the nuclear power, uh, Admiral, um, Many of your listeners may have, have heard of the, the famous Rickover interviews. Um, Rickover died in the 80s. Uh, he doesn't do them anymore, though his ghost may or may not be present. Um, but each uh, submarine officer candidate has to go before the overall uh, admiral in charge of the entire uh, Navy nuclear submarine program and gets validated in a one-on-one -on -one interview you know, with, with each one. 
Wow. Uh, most of them are, again, pretty easy. When you're a 3.9 chemistry major and you want to go and, and be a submariner, they generally let you in. When you're a uh, prior enlisted Marine 2.5 aerospace engineer, they ask a few more questions. And um, and just turns out that that was another one of those places where uh, had I taken one choice and just kind of listened and taken it, I may not have been where I'm at now. Uh, but when I was able to, uh, you know, push back a little bit, and uh, I think one of the defining quotes was, sir, I'll let you tell me that I'm too stupid to join your program, but there's no way I'm going to let you sit there and tell me I'm too lazy to join your program. So if that's where we're going to be right now, that's where it's going to be. And uh, as, as I recall, I think uh, you were a wrestler, right? Uh, um, I was not. I just, I'm uh, small and feisty, so... <laughs> just seem like one that's right uh, it turns out that one of the questions was he goes well so did you did you letter in any sports and i told him that i had lettered in wrestling and he's like man well maybe today i'm gonna let you into my program and i'm thinking like tomorrow you're not so oh yeah i'm just gonna walk out here and as i walked out there were the three people in the office that were waiting outside his door uh our kind of handler was walking us around his secretary and the other midshipmen that i was there with and uh, they all had kind of wide eyes and they said uh what went on in there we heard <laughs> shouting and i was like well he says i'm good so let's move on let's go uh, so anyway uh, i spent five years on on a submarine uh was uh one of the better times of my life just you know getting to know the ins and outs of a, a technical challenge like the submarine is but also uh, i was able to to work with just 150 guys that that even today uh are like family in a lot of respects um you you get to know everybody uh you know girlfriends names kids names birthdays you know which particular comic books they like to read whatever um and and some more graphic details that we won't get into because what goes on the submarine stays on the submarine um but uh yeah just a really great time in my life that was the time in my life when when i i met my wife and we got married um and so she was a you know navy submariner widow for for uh 90 days at a time for for much of our first three years of our marriage uh which may or may not have led to some marriage counseling uh going on <laughs> in our past um but we've made it through and and uh, now here we are um after the submarine i i left uh, the navy uh proper um i wasn't sure i wanted to spend the next 12 years of my life on the roughly 30 percent chance that maybe i could command my own submarine for maybe two years before i go on and command a desk um so i made the choice to, to move out to industry and i got picked up immediately at, at boeing as part of the new product development group for one of the airplanes they were working on uh, in the seattle area and uh spent about five years there and one of the things that i realized uh, while i was at boeing was a new product development especially in aerospace um really everything engineering becomes system engineering there there are so many moving parts everything's a system of system you know even things like you know as, as simple quote unquote as as software code um you know you have it has a whole bunch of interconnects that deal with a whole bunch of hardware and uh i got to be really um intrigued by and got to be pretty good at kind of hardware software integration um the uh you know left boeing in in 2009 actually spent a year at uh, amazon corporate um as a technical program manager there and that was uh one of the the larger turning points of my life personally professionally and and uh and just a, a personal growth um amazon is an amazing place with some some very very talented people there hmm. um it is not, however, the uh, most military, military app or military friendly place uh, <laughs> on the planet. Um, and uh, but it was great though because a lot of those 
um, I call them conflicts, they weren't conflicts, but a lot of the collisions that that uh, we had with just how people lead in different scenarios or, or how uh, a software team might be led versus a hardware team or how, uh, how you lead in an agile environment versus leading in a kind of waterfall Boeing environment um, just, just blew my mind, expanded my growth. And uh, at the time, uh, they, they quote unquote promoted me uh, to be a senior software manager and just wasn't really my thing. Um, it never has been my thing. Uh, so we you know, tried that for a little while and we kind of came to a mutual parting of ways uh, right about the time that I got recalled back to active duty, spent four years in Afghanistan. Um, sorry, mm. two years in Afghanistan and in between working at SOCOM. So um, we can get into or not get into that as, as much as you need to. Um, I want to be <laughs> cognizant of your time here, but uh, I've just, it's been a blessing to see where even in things that you're like, wait, what? Or even the, the one year that I was supposed to be in Afghanistan turned into two out of three. So uh, let's go. And just being able to work through that as a person, as a family, uh, bringing my family along, uh, moving from place to place to place and, and kind of losing relationships that I've been building up over you know years. Um, it's led me to where I am now. And, and man, I just I couldn't be happier was incredible i mean like if you look back in the rearview mirror and you go how do you get and th thank you for the time by the way because and for that because if we're for everybody who's listening you know we say futures chief special operations command directorate oh, blah 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 and it we, we don't really have that sense of just how nuanced your gifting is i mean nuclear engineering aerospace the corporate world, software, the boots on the ground of the marine life, Afghanistan, like all of these things, your wife's an artist, like all of these things color who you are. And literally, you can't make it up. And that's what, you know, I'm a faith guy. And for everybody who's listening, there's, if nothing else we take away from today, if you're 25, 38, 34, 45, it doesn't matter. Like the openness to say, I'm not sure what will be in the future, but, but I'm going to say yes to this and I'm going to lean into it. And I may not be the smartest guy. I may not have the best GPA, but for some reason I'm sitting in front of this door and I'm going to do everything I can to walk through it. Who knows what God has in store. And so here you are as the futures guy and I love it, and I'm grateful for the time because the whole world is thinking about we're immersed in complexity and immersed in uncertainty. That's where that's where we're all waking up to, and it's really pretty disruptive, to be honest, to a lot of us because you know we like to have things chalked out, um, you know, three-year plan, five-year plan, seven-year plan, and we want it as predictable as possible. And the other day, I woke up and I saw that Warren Buffett sold a hundred percent of his airline stock. And I was like, good night. I think it was like $4 billion. I could be making that up, but it was a huge number, a hundred percent. And his, so I read it and the quote that he said was, I can't predict the future of what that industry will be like. Mm -hmm. And I thought we're in a space right now where, where Warren Buffett is saying, I'm, I'm not quite sure about air travel, what that's going to be like. And for so long, we just take it for granted. We just assume that's the world we live in and the airplanes will work and the post office will come and the mail will arrive, sleet, nor snow, nor hail. Nothing can interrupt the things that we have. So we're not used to living in this space where you, I think, live, where you're imagining unknowns and complexities and problems. 
have did you have to like grow that capacity and if so how did you kind of start to inhabit that world where you were thinking about things that were currently not the in front of your nose problems but you're trying to like transcend that and reach in front of you and think out there was that a natural gifting of yours or did you have to like did did they take you to some place in like nebraska to teach you <laughs> It's, it's definitely not Nebraska. Um, yeah. no, so uh, I think it's it's twofold. I think that I've always had an innate curiosity of things. I've always enjoyed uh, puzzles, uh, even in terms of like, you know, gaming. I was never really into first person shooter games. I was more into like Ultima, Final Fantasy, you know, solve these quests, go talk to this guy to get this clue to go talk to this guy. And and those were the things that that really um, sparked my my imagination, my intuition. Um with that, though, as, I, as I've gone through life, I think uh, to answer one of your questions in that, um, I think that to to be really futuristic, to be forward thinking and, and future leaning, you have to be grounded in some first principles and in some some basic axioms. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by your Buffett quote because or your anecdote, uh, because it almost makes it sound like. Oh, all the other stuff I invest in, I can absolutely see the future and all that <laughs> stuff. But this airline thing, like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, that just kind of makes me chuckle on the inside. Um, but I would say that, that uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, my, my broad yet not really deep uh, engineering background. Um, if you don't have a lot of those first principles in place, uh, you can make some some really big missteps very easily, uh, especially the, the farther out you go in, in the conceptual realm or in the in the creative realm. And uh, I will say like one of the great things about, talk about you can't plan this out, um, being married to a very, very right-brained, artistic, creative person um, has allowed me to incorporate some of those things in, in even my own work. Um, one anecdote I have is that um, you know, we didn't talk about the project I worked on before, but uh, you may have heard that SOCOM was trying to build an Iron Man suit at some point, and I may or may not have been uh, part of that in the in the early uh, times of getting that going. But one of the things that we realized was that the way that the government generally builds things or develops things is very much a um, it's a futuristic concept that is delved into based on what we can do today. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll, I'll bring up an airplane example. Um, the airplane I was working on at Boeing was, uh, the, the award was given in 1999 by a, a proposal was written up in 1997 that was to keep it from being a really risky thing, utilizing 1995 technology. And the first flight of the airplane was going to be in 2009. So by the time that this brand new airplane rolled off the line after billions of development and all that kind of stuff of, of great engineers and great people doing great things, it was already going to be 14 years behind the requirements that were written, you know, when it got started. And so, uh, you know, I, I think back and, and, you know, for the computer that you might be listening on, the car you might be driving right now, what was that like in, you know, 14 years ago? Mm. Probably, probably not as up to speed as this one is today. Um, and so one of the things that I really started to dive into was how can we turn that on its head and make it so that we're not doing requirements-based analysis on things that make it very, uh, that make it very risk averse so that, you know, the, you know, the, the prime vendor can give the government exactly what it asked for in the contract. How can we twist those principles around to make it say, how can we get the end user what they need in time for them to use it effectively? And if that means that we have to retweak some of the ways we're doing things, maybe we need to look at doing that. So to get back to your question about how do I look at things uh, when I can't really predict what they might be, it's 
it's uh, not gambling. It's investing in a, a wide swath of potential probabilities and, and doing almost a, uh, what Buffett would do, where he does a diversification of, of his uh, mm. stocks uh, and his companies. I do a diversification diversification risk and things that I'm going after. So um, with the you know the Talos suit, the Iron Man suit that we were working on, we delved out into what's the the state of the art and the five years out and the ten years out in all the technology areas and power and in armor and in night vision and in you know uh, weaponry and, and computing and communications, and we try to stretch the the envelope on all of these different areas. What I've kind of learned now is, you know, there are some places where you need to go, okay, what's, what do I need to learn in kind of the now to three years out? What do I need to know in the three to seven years? And what do I need to know in the five to 15 years? And again, putting my ego hat on a little bit, there are tons of great people who are really, really good at living in that zero to three year realm. Mm -hmm. Like they can, they can change that iPhone five to make it the iPhone six. They can, uh, you know, work on things that, that are the next step to make it a little bit better, a little bit cheaper, a little bit lighter, whatever the case may be. There are fewer people that work in that, uh, that second realm. And, uh, that's, I'll call it either the transformation or the adjacent realm. Think of like Viagra, right? Viagra started as, you know, a good blood pressure medication, but then somebody picked up on that and turned it into what Viagra is today. And now it's one of the best selling drugs ever. Right. So, um, had no one really been looking at that, how can we do this adjacent technology, turn it into something that we really didn't think about, but it turns out that it works that way. Um, there, there are fewer people, but still some that can do that. And there are kind of the, the broader visionary people that look at what's the five to 15 year look like. What's the stuff that we don't even really know yet. Or even if we did know, it's still a science project and we don't know what the customer base may look like to that. And what, what I've built our team on it at SOCOM and, and what my uh, director has built her team on is keeping it still where we, we invest the bulk of what we're trying to do in getting the guy stuff that is, you know, shoots a little bit farther, gives them a little bit more power, decreases their armor weight by a little bit, things like that. Um, there's a few more things within the realm of that three to seven years that are, are kind of where S&T in, in itself goes. But then we've, we've gotten this ability to look out and, and to... Uh, diversify and have some small portion of our, our budget. I think I get, I jokingly say I get 1% of my boss's 1% of SOCOM's 2% of the entire DOD budget. So 99.9998% of DOD funding goes somewhere other than little Brian's hands. Mm. Right. But at the same time, we're doing stuff with such high ROI and such, uh, such, quick decision-making on it of a yay or no, it's never really going to go anywhere that the ROI we get as long as you are hundreds to thousands to one. And you only need a couple of those wins to be able to radically change the portfolio of what you're trying to do. Um, in that case. And, and again, I, I pull from some of the things I'm learning from some, from some venture capital folks, because the, the concept is still the same. They're doing it with money. I'm doing it with, you know, limited resources, trying to get capability out. But in reality, we're taking some small bets, some medium bets. And then there are some that are, that are big bets that when they come through, uh, there can be some great things to it. So, um, I'm not going to you remotely think that I'm smart enough to tell Warren Buffett how to invest. Mm -hmm. What I would say though is that um, the ability to understand that there is risk and to navigate through risk, whether it's in cash, whether it's in uh, resource requirements, whether it's in just capabilities getting out to the force, that it's going to be the right capability when you need it to be, um, being able to navigate those risk areas are something that, that you need to be able to do and you have to have the first principles and the axioms behind it to be able to be confident what you're trying to do. Yeah. That you mentioned curiosity 
is a, is kind of a piece of your um, gifting. Is that what makes the difference? Like as a leader who, who's successful in bringing people together, if there's an attribute or a character trait that says, this is what you've got to stay fill in the blank in order yeah. to, in order to be able to diversify because we, there's, you know, the inhibitor is fear. All these things yeah. get in the way of us letting the sale out. What do you think a leader has to have you know, that attribute or that quality, what's most essential um, that maybe right now traditional leaders have said, I haven't had to wear those pants. Um, I haven't had to operate in that space. But what have you learned is essential to being able to give yourself permission to to diversify, to think five to seven when you maybe not, aren't comfortable doing that? That's a great question. I think there's two pieces of it. The first is that um, you say curiosity I would say that it has to be a disciplined curiosity. There are plenty of curious people, plenty of people that go home and, and tinker at night on, you know, something that, you know, really appeals to them, whether it's a garden, a musical instrument, uh, you know, some, something they're trying to invent in their garage. They're, they're human beings on uh, by and large are gifted with immense amounts of creativity, uh, curiosity. There's a level of discipline though, that, that's required to take that from being a science project to being something that you can uh, be counted on to deliver to people. Mm -hmm. So that's the first part of it. And I think that's something that is sometimes really hard for uh, visionaries to pick up. Um, but when they do, it can be extremely useful, extremely uh, rewarding. Um, the, the piece though, that I would say in terms of how I can do my job appropriately, uh, you have to have two things. You have to have agility of thought and you have to have a lack of ego. Um, mm. uh, Dr. Linda Hill at Harvard, uh, she had a Ted talk and, and I actually went back in and in preparation for this, I got her quote because it's something that I've been kind of living by and she put it really succinctly. And I, I appreciated it. It's a uh, leading innovation is about creating the space where people are willing and able to do the hard work of that innovative problem solving. You have to be confident and, and uh, capable to be the seventh smartest person at a table of eight people and to just have your inputs be something that, um, that are, are going to be not additive to the whole, but multiplicative or exponential to the whole. Mm. And if you come in thinking, which we see a lot in some of the, the events that we do, whether they're our rapid capability assessments or our design thinking foundry events, um, we bring in some of the best of the best of the best, um, you know, and PhDs and, and professors at great institutions and CEOs of, of, you know, multi-billion dollar companies out in Silicon Valley. And a lot of times you see that, that the, the hardest uh, problems in those collisions occur from people who have the concept that they've always been the smartest person in the room and they're the alpha. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we've been able to do is to kind of flip that on its end and make their, uh, the term cross-functional gets, gets bandied bound a lot. But we, I think, have taken the, the aspect of um, genius and creativity and innovation and, and uh, discipline comes in various different formats. So when we have these events, we bring in academia, we bring in industry, we bring in government guys, and we also bring in our special forces operators. Um, and we also bring in various levels of some of the, you know, the 35-year PhD graybeards and the last couple of events we've had, we've had a 10-year-old, you know, robotics geniuses come in and just seeing the difference of, of the, uh, the agility wow. and flexibility of thought, um, you know, again, my thanks to my bosses for letting me, because uh, when you get those, like, wait, you're bringing in a kid for what? Like, is this a joke? And no, man, he, he had some of the greatest insights and aspects uh, and with some of the most creative uh, elements of all this came from a guy who hasn't been 
broken down by what wow. you know the system has said can't be done. Um, so I'd say agility of thought, and then wow. that lack of ego, and then bringing those those collisions together to be able to say. I may not know everything there's to know about this, but by this collective knowledge piece and by also having the uh, the temper of being able to wade through all these and understand, okay, I see where you're coming from. I'm going to kind of, you know, de-scope that in my mind or, wow, you've got, that's where I really want to go. I'm going to kind of, you know, invest more in that idea or that concept or that, you know, particular um, decision. Um, you have to... You have to have the ability to say, yeah, I was wrong. I'm moving on. Or, you know, yep, it didn't work out. Let's go. Or, and, and this is where this one comes in. This is kind of there, and I'm going to focus on how to get all the way there at the lowest amount of, of uh, resource investment required because we can't just go after everything with everything. Mm. Man, I'm just sitting here thinking like nimbleness, the doing away with fear, doing away with ego. Mm inviting a 10 year old to the conversation because they, they have an they have an ability to imagine that hasn't been, you know, completely crystallized or, you know, encapsulated with a bunch of shoulds and shouldn'ts. There there's so much going on to to do future well. And, you know, this has gone around quite a bit now, but Andy Crouch in thinking about um he leads this Praxius conversation. He's talking to leaders about the same stuff and he said you know your our why for everybody who's leading our why has likely not changed but in the last eight weeks our what and our how have likely radically changed and i think that i think that's true i think everybody from bank ceos you know team leaders on on teaching cohorts pastors everybody is thinking like okay my what and my how are radically changing give us some just coach us a little bit as a leader who brings people together and is able to get people in a room seven eight smart people in a room and help get people thinking together without ego being more nimble Give us some advice. Just coach people who are leading right now and say, hey, if I were if I were with my team right now, looking at the next 30, 60, 90 days, the next four quarters of the year ahead, you know, how can we posture our teams to to be better equipped to think from a futures perspective? Because that's new to a lot of us. So coach sure. us a little bit on, you know, how should we be bringing our people together? What questions should we be asking? Sure. So I think um, there's there's two elements that, it, and we talked a little bit about them already. Um, the first is people have to recognize that it's okay to not know things. Mm. People have to recognize that it's okay to not have a hundred percent answer on where we're at right now. I think the entire world is in a place wow. now where you know we no one's been through this. So yeah, you may you may have that fear of not really knowing, um, you know, 95%, 100% like you might be used to making your decisions, but to just have that humility to say from time to time, I don't know, guys, let's think about this. Or I brought this team together because all of you may have ideas that I'm not seeing right now. Let's start looking at all this. I'll temper that, though, by saying, um, you know, we've been placed in position as leaders to lead. And so the aspect that we have to go through is that a lot of times decision-making does not go well in a democracy. Mm -hmm. um, 
there there is absolutely an element where you know people should be able to have their voices heard people should feel confident in, in putting forward ideas especially in places of uncertainty there should be no level of oh man this is going to sound really dumb if i bring it up um you know to to on the on the follower side to be able to say i'm going to bring these things up because i'm not scared of what may happen to me if i say it but on the leader side to be able to say i'm going to be open enough to say i'm i'm here to hear what you have to say and i'll make a decision but uh, just know going in, I don't know where this is going to go. So I'm going to make the best decision based on where I'm at. And one of the things that you learn in, in uh, Marine Corps Leadership 101 is, you know, know yourself and seek self-improvement. Know that you are not going to be that guy that has every answer to everything right now. Nobody is. I don't care if you're an epidemiologist. I don't care if you're, you know, a, a PhD at Harvard that's been teaching for 35 years. I don't care if you've been working in a you know, lab that's been dealing with these things. I don't care if you're a small business owner that, that has gone through some recessions and things in the past. We're at kind of a position right now where nobody has been through exactly what we're going through in this before, and especially at this scale. It's okay to say, I'm not sure. Wow. And it's okay to, to portray that to your team because I think that if you don't, you're just going to drive a bigger wedge by them knowing that you're not sure but still trying to posture that you are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's fire right there. For everybody who's listening, like – I, th- I think that right there, what you just touched on, is critical. Like the gaslight's been on for a long time in, <laughs> in the car of our, un- uh, just from a leadership perspective, being uncomfortable saying we don't know. From a theology perspective, being pastors being uncomfortable saying we don't know. That's something we can't answer. Wow. If we can recover that as a starting place, I think it will give permission for just healthier conversation, safer conversation where people feel like they're empowered to say, well, I might have a solution. I may be the 10 year old at the table, but yeah, mm-hmm. oof, that's good, man. I'm going to ask you one and you can dodge this and go like, start talking about a submarine for an hour and that'll be cool too. But you know, right now we are, you and I are both Christian men, Christian husbands, dads, leaders, and people of faith right now are, coming to me and there seems to be these there's this divide there's this really polarized space where there's a group you know there's people saying hey we should love our neighbors and the world's really uncertain so let's submit to the authorities and trust institutions and then just live peaceable lives and do our best to to contribute and then there's this other side that is deeply suspicious of institution. And that's been culturally happening for a while, but deep suspicion of institution, lack of trust in anybody who wears a coat or a title or is a part of the thing. And, you know, you and I are both also have done time in the Northwest and that's in our blood to say like, no, there's a Liberty thing that we should be advocating for speech and assembly. And there's a tension right there. Um, because the government is moving fast to try to respond to some of these issues. And I look at you and I go, you're a guy who I listen to you think about these issues to how to equip and tackle these future problems. And you're, you're prayerful about it. I trust you. I don't, I'm not suspicious of you. You go to work to do your job. And I trust that if something was going on, you would not participate in that. And you're bringing the best of your leadership capacity to try to help us think well about going into the future. How are you, how do you make sense of that? Like the, the lack of trust in institution right now and the, the debate between science and Liberty and, 
can you speak to that at all? Just even as my friend, where you're like, sure. Zach, listen, I'm a nuclear <laughs> physicist. I can build airplanes. I've been on a submarine right now. Relax, go outside, get some sunshine and don't, don't mistrust what's being told to you. Or how do you get your information? How do you make sense of things being at the level that you're at? Wow. So a lot of that's loaded. Um, so, so loaded. I guess this is probably, this is probably the right time to, to be able to say, I should have said earlier, um, these are the opinions of Brian Cisco only, <laughs> not the opinions of the Department of Defense or SOCOM or the Navy or anybody else, right? These are only my opinions. Um, but no, I'll, I'd love to answer for you. At least take, you know, my hack at, at what I'm trying to live through in this. Um, as I said before, look, I don't know, man. Like, that's the first part of this. Like, we're in a place now we've never been before. But again, going back to axioms, though, and uh, the first principles on these things. Um, and, and actually, so I, I love when, when you told me that, uh, you know, you like to question from Andy Crouch. I went and I looked at a couple of other things. And I really loved a couple of things he was saying in that it's not our jobs, whether as leaders or as friends or as fathers and husbands, it's not our job to say, you know, oh, you're overreacting. Don't be scared about this. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Like, mm. that's that's a disservice to people, right? Um, you know, one of the things about being a leader is you meet people where they're at right now. You don't try to drag them to where you are or, or where you might have been or something like that. Um, now, in terms of the authority piece, um, just in terms of, of where I come from in my personal worldview, and I understand this is not everybody's, um, my personal worldview is not that all humans are, are good people and just left to their own devices are going to be great and everything moves on. Just give them what they need and let them go about doing their life. I think that it's only through, you know, the grace of God and the kind of trappings of society that we've kind of built up around us uh, over the last, you know, few hundred years to a few millennium. It's only through that that we've been to a place where we don't kill each other and steal from each other every day. And it's not widespread, you know, <laughs> Vikings coming through Northern England or something like that. Um, but because I think that, that humans are inherently fallen and, and, uh, and that's kind of our, our, our sin nature, because of that, um, I feel like there are, are protections that have to be put in place and there has to be wisdom that happens, whether you're a leader of a company, whether a dad or a husband or, or a leader in a church. And one of my, um, one of my particular uh, feelings is, is that generally uh, I don't like working or living under people who seek out power. There's one thing to have been placed in a position of leadership. Uh, there's another thing to um, have been, you know, have taken on because no one else is doing it. Um, there's another thing with, you know, you just happen to be the right person at the right time to do the right thing. Um, I've been each one of those for my life. Um, but I'm, I'm wary of people who want to help me live my life better because they think they know better about it. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that they're always bad. Uh, my pastor has a lot more wisdom on certain areas of my life than I do. And I'm happy to send her his teaching. Um, I'm not saying that every politician that's ever run for office is, is evil. Um, but what I would say is my, my inherent bent is, is that um, I feel that things get done at the personal and at the family and at the community level a lot better and more efficiently than they do at the federal or global level. Yeah. Uh, because what it comes down to is that you need those relationships and you need to see where people are hurting and you need to be able to help them where they're at based on where you've been placed. And I, for, you know, multiple great reasons i'm sure have not been in a place where you know i'm on cnn every night talking to people about how they should live their life um so the uh piece that i would ask then for people is to say in where you are and however you you feel in your worldview on on 
people, on authority. Um, take a look at it as how can I be a great example of what I've been placed here to do while also protecting the, the interests of uh, the church, the church body, my family, you know, and, and those people that, that I love and have been uh, placed in, in contact with, um, how can I help serve them and how can I live my life in that servant leadership model? Mm. I think we, if we start with that, um, a lot of these other things go away. And so, uh, I'm again, I'm not going to be the guy to say, um, you know, you're fine, you're overreacting, but I will say, don't be afraid. Be prepared for things. You know, don't put yourself in a position where you're relying on the concept, and, and this is going a little bit farther, you know, where if I don't get a paycheck, my life is crushed. Or, uh, you know, if, if I can't go to the grocery store, my children starve. I'm, I'm being a little bit hypocritical right now because I don't do all those things, even though I probably have thought about it more than most have. Um, but meeting people where they are and, and saying that, you know, prepare for... Uh, prepare for the days ahead. Don't be afraid. Uh, but also, it's not all going to be fine, and not everything is always going to be okay. And we're doing a disservice in both our lives and as a witness to be able to be putting those out that way. Yeah, that's so good. I love your frame of like hopeful and resilience, and also sober-minded. Like there are realities that we have to navigate. We're responsible for those things at a very local level, at a micro level. Like. We have to take some ownership and the, to the greater extent that we take ownership at our family level and our neighborhood level, our cities are in a better position to deal with the unexpected. And it really does start there. If we think about, you know, if a hurricane were to smash in to, to Tampa area in the fall, like to the, to the extent that our families now are thinking about, Hey, how do I square away things so that I can be a good neighbor and take care of my family? It just positions us as a whole to be in a better spot, but to not be fearful. Again, it gives me confidence to, to know that there's guys like you thinking about, you know, really smart people thinking about problems and you're doing it again. Not everybody's from a great, um, acting from a perfect, pure heart, but, but you, you go to work with good intention. And the, the, at some level, I think there's part of that where we have to be able to start trusting that a little bit and empowering people and and asking some questions uh, that are critical thinking questions. But at the same time, you know more about the problems that you're facing and that we're facing together than I do. And I've got to lean on your experience. And I don't know, that, there's a good tension there. So we could go all day on that. But man, you are a gift just as a person. And... I, I imagine like you live in a sci-fi world and in a, in a war fighting organization. And then you pick up groceries and like have to homeschool and do bubbles and just going personal for a little bit. How do you integrate all of that? And you know, the, the years in Afghanistan, the time on the sub, just as a person, how are you able to come home and stop thinking about building Iron Man suits and then play with them or, you know, are, have you been able to integrate all that so seamlessly that maybe it serves your work or is that a struggle for you? Yeah, totally. I got this totally figured out, man. Like that's why I'm on here. Right? <laughs> that's right. You uh, have all the no, I, actually, um, so it, it's a great question. And, and honestly, that's been one of the, the parts of, of my uh, growth and walk that are um, 
honestly one of the bigger struggles for me uh, because like I said I'm, I'm by you know nature a curious nerd that likes to, to look at you know technology and problem solving and things like that um, I, I literally have done the all night long you know multiple times in the last you know month or two mm. but the the aspect of understanding that uh, I also have responsibility to my family. I also have responsibility to, you know, three awesome kids that, you know, I hope will be even better as a person, as a member of society than I am. How do you make that into a, a reality? And, uh, and you're right. It's not by building a better Iron Man suit or by, you know, coming up with the next great way of doing communications to space. It's going to be through those personal interactions and, and those things that they, Verbal or nonverbal, they may just see me do something or how I interact with their mother or whatever. Um, those those pieces are things that I have to consciously work on instead of kind of unconsciously like, yeah, I'm just going to go to work. I'm going to do a great job. That's just what I do. Uh, I'll feel bad if I don't. Um, I have to take time out and, and think of it as a, a whole person thing. Um, I'll, I'll say so for one thing is uh, I, I had an injury on my knee at one point and it made me take a look at it. And, uh, because I just, I started saying, ah, you know, it hurts to work out. I'm not going to, I've got this stuff. I'm busy, whatever, whatever. And you know what? Oh, by the way, I'm not going to take time away from hanging out with my kids to go get on a treadmill. So forget that. And then you realize that, you know, 20, 30 pounds later that, you know, the, the part of your life that you are, uh, neglecting has now become a problem that takes more energy and more focus and, and worse things than if you had just been keeping up with it the whole time. Um, so that's one thing that, that I've kind of learned about myself and that I have to struggle with. Um, but I will say that, um, you know, I, I, I know many of uh, your children uh, pretty intimately. And, and I think that one of the things I love about children, our kids age are that uh, it, they make it really easy to interact with them. You know, they're, they're so creative. They're so cool. They come up with such crazy things. That you're just like, well, yeah, you know, why wouldn't I want to interact with that? Um, you know, uh, my my son just, uh, he was talking about a paper that he was going to write, and it was all about how Midas's arm in, in Fortnite turns gold after a certain level he gets to or something like that. And he's so fired up about this essay that he's writing and, and just writes word after word after word after word after word and sentence after sentence. And I'm sitting thinking, buddy, how would you just do two pages on a character in a video game? And, and it's just, medium with where he's at right now and yeah he'll do his latin later and he'll do his math later and he'll do his you know catechism later but he was all fired up about that Fortnite character and and so harnessing that energy and that creativity has made me go like okay well let me go figure out why Midas's arm turns gold after level 109 so um that's been one level of interaction but it's it's had to be intentional interaction that's not something that has come naturally to me uh and whether or not i'm, I'm sure no one else on your entire pod has <laughs> that particular uh fallibility um but that's something that that i have struggled with and i think that that's just a piece of the growth that i'll continue to have until you know i'm no longer here when you have gotten and when you feel like you're doing that well and you can trace back and go are there habits or practices whether it's physical life spiritual life whatever that you can go back and go man when i am present with my kids when i find myself mm -hmm. able to sit there through the whole two-page thing on the golden arm are there habits and practices behind that that you've been able to identify and none of us get it right it's no straight line but in seasons of your life where you have felt more integrated more present more whole what do you think are there two or three things that you can say like whether it, whether i'm on a sub 
or I'm at a SOCOM base or I'm in my living room, whatever season I'm in, I've learned that these are some pretty important things that I need to pay attention to. I heard you mention physicality uh, is part of it, just moving, taking care of your body. But are there any other things, just, you know, spirit, soul, mind, head, heart stuff that you do that we can learn from? Yeah, I think there's, there's, I keep saying there's two pieces. Um, there's two pieces that, to everything. Uh, I found. Yeah. To everything, right? Uh, the, the first part is um, when I have been most present at home, and I'll include kind of this time of life where I'm at right now, um, it's because I've been confident in what I'm doing with the, you know, with the 40 plus hour work week, right? If I have anxiety at work, if I feel like I'm not living up with my boss once, uh, whether or not I'm getting that from them, if I'm, if I feel like I'm letting people down, if I feel like there's, there's some element that the problem hasn't been solved yet and I'm, I'm not working hard enough or closely enough or smartly enough on it, if there's some of anxiety there that makes it so that I can't relax at home um, right now. So if at the end of this call, Jack comes up and needs some, some help with his homework, um, I don't mind taking two minutes to go over and hang out with him and help him through something because I recognize this might be a two minute touch. This probably isn't an hour long problem. Mm. Um, whereas before I would have been so focused on, no, man, I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. I'll get to you when I'm done. And by the time I'm done, it's midnight. And he's been in bed for three and a half hours and I didn't even get to pray with him. Yeah. Um, I think the other aspect that helps me out, and again, this is different for everybody, um, but um, more so than, than reading, more so than journaling, more so than, than some of the other, um, the other disciplines, for me, prayer really centers uh, me on just getting me out of my, my own life and getting me into the life of others. Um, and there, there really is a, a privilege of prayer for me. Um, I, I love being able to, to pray for people. I love that, that sense and that feeling that you get when you're outside of yourself and, and you're interceding for others. And uh, I recognize that might not be where everyone is gifted at and what they love to do. Uh, some people love physical gifts. Some people love words of affirmation and touches. And this is not a five love languages piece by any stretch of the imagination, uh, back to marriage counseling. Yeah. But <laughs> I'll say that when, when I've been able to be um, healer in prayer, that's grounded me to a place where I can feel confident in taking uh, time out for, um, you know, loving my wife, uh, working with my children, living life as a, as a dad and as a husband, and moving myself out of that. I'm a cog in a machine that does a bunch of cool stuff for 40 hours plus. Yeah. I You mentioned two things, the counterbalance idea versus... Um, work-life balance and we we have this idea of work-life balance that if i'm gonna give my work eight hours then i have to have eight hours to give my family and it never works out that way but the two-minute touch that you mentioned is such good advice like i may have 10 minutes and i can go engage with you and be present with you for these 10 minutes and i'm going to give you that and then i'm going to give myself permission to get back to my work and then when that work is done, I'm not going to sit there for two hours beyond what I should be and just waste that time. That's super good. And prayer, the thing I love about it, you're right, it's not all of our gifting, but I think the invitation you put out is good, that it transcends uh, quarantine life, right? Like we can, Paul had learned the secret of being content in all things. You can't, that can never be stripped from us, right? Submarine, spec ops base, bike ride in a hospital, like we have the ability to intercede for people and to really transcend into this beautiful 
kind of universal relationship in that space. And that's life-giving, life-giving. But it has to be regular, regular, regular. Yeah. So good. How do you, I know I've got to let you run because you got Congress and ships to build and all that and kids <laughs> to play with, but how do you stay future? And I'm really asking, like, I know a guy who, um, he, you might've heard of the band Sleeping at Last. And if, if you don't know Sleeping at Last, he just released an album called Astronomy and you're going to love it. He basically composed music inspired by space. It's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But the habits and practices that let you think like that, that keep you future, what do you do? I mean, do you watch science fiction movies and like let your mind wander? Do you eat weird food? Like, How do you feed that, that imagination space and that creativity space that lets you spend the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 2%? Uh, so great question for me, and, and this may be different for everybody. Um, for me, a lot of it, honestly, is, is outsourcing. Um, I talk about these design thinking uh, elements, uh, these brainstorming sessions, these graphic capability assessments where you bring in 30 to 50 to 75, you know, really, really good at what they do people, uh, really intelligent, forward-thinking people. And by having that touchstone and being able to talk with those people and see their, their outcomes and see what happens when they collide with other futurists, um, that just keeps, it's, it's another boost to me. It keeps sparking my imagination on these things. Well, what if, well, what if? And then part of my discipline is, is that outside of those things, I do a ton of reading, um, less kind of science fiction fantasy than you may think. And actually more in things like, um, I read PhD papers from worldwide engineering organizations, uh, that may or may not, you know, be in English for the most part. <laughs> um, or, or, uh, you know, or, or reading up articles on kind of where the, the state of technology is going or seeing what some of the Valley guys are investing in or, or things like that. And, and just trying to, to keep my knowledge base up. Um, and for me, that's, that's the benefit I get. Out of it, and that's what keeps me grounded because under the underlying effect is where all this is coming from is, um, my problem is the one of how do I make a billion dollars in the next 10 years? My problem is, how do I protect people who may have to do really hard jobs from really bad guys? Um, how do I help protect them as they do that? And that kind of underlying principle drives me to be able to say, okay, I'm going to read another paper or I'm going to bring together another event mm. or I'm going to push harder on people who may just want to stop right here because they got to a good stopping place and to push on that extra 10% to where they may not have actually gone. Um, those drivers are, are kind of what, what push me to that and allow me to have that discipline to keep learning and growing. I love it. And what a, what a gift. I mean, just your ability to say, yeah, I, br I fill the room full of all these different thinkers. I'm imagining a pastor or a, again, a, a leader of a small business, just having the, the, the curiosity to say, you know what? I don't want to hear from six other pastors. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in 10 of the people who represent the broad swath of our body, the, the, the congregation and just ask them, uh, you know, these questions and let them think and hear what they're thinking about. And that is, that is brave leadership. I think it's the, it's what's, it's what's required in order for us to get to new solutions and not just to keep reinvesting in the stuff that 
that we've tried before, or like you said, we've, that's the one to three year solution and it's already out of date by the time we roll it out. How do you deal after action, like lessons learned stuff, you know, when, when you get it wrong and when you imagine something and you've spent money on it and it feels like, I mean, we've all kind of heard the stereotypical government project where it's like, well, we were 90 yards there, so we figured we'd spend the next $4 billion and just finish that so we could say we got it done. How do you give yourself permission to learn, to grow, to scrap something, to move on? Uh, as a leader, how, do you, how have you learned to navigate that space? Uh, so it's a great question. Uh, a lot of it comes uh, partially from the – a lot of it comes partially. Uh, it comes <laughs> from uh, that, that part I talked about at the beginning, like, be afraid to say, I tried this, it didn't work. Um, now, again, don't be undisciplined in what you do. Don't just fire away the product you saw on a commercial or something like that. But there's an element of um, once you've done the homework and once you've kind of gotten, whether it's your gut feel, you've pulled the room, whatever your decision-making process is, once you've got that decision, own that decision. That's mm-hmm. what we keep saying. Like, especially for leaders, you're in a position of leadership because you're meant to make that decision. And, own it, you know, and, and if you need to say, I'm going to pause because it's, I've got 70%, I may not be at 100, be judicious and disciplined about those two. Sometimes you need just a 70%, which is, I need to go now, I'm going to go. Or there are some times where maybe worth getting that little bit more fidelity into it. Um, and part of my issue is, I have no problem saying that something crashed and failed. In fact, I built up the futures program to be able to take advantage of, we're going to do an experiment. I have a hypothesis and we're just going to use scientific methods. We tried these things. We were disciplined and smart about how we did it. And it turns out, nope, that's not going to work because of X, Y, Z. Where a lot of times it fails in the industry is the people say, oh, that didn't work. Good job, man. Way to waste a whole bunch of money and resources. What I try to pull out of all of my, call it didn't work, is it didn't work because of this, because of this, and because of this. And that, number one, I think I can solve that through looking at this other piece of technology. And number two, I think that if I just did this in a different way, that might work out. But number three, turns out that violates the law of physics, so we're just not going to do that anymore. <laughs> so, okay, I'm okay saying no thank you, and we're moving on. Um, whereas a lot of times, I, I'm with you that people get stuck in that sunk cost theory of, you know, if I can just do a little more, a little more time, and a little bit more money, I've already spent this much, and, uh, again, part of why I'm in the position I'm in right now is because in my interviews I was saying, I don't have a problem with the, I'll call it the baseball concept, right? Batting 300 gets you into the Hall of Fame. You don't have to bat 1,000. Mm. Batting 300 gets you there. And so if you're disciplined and if you're intentional about what you're doing and how you're doing it, and, and to go back to the, the Christian analogy, if you always have an answer for why you believe what you believe and why you did what you did, um, there, it's really hard to go wrong. Mm. Um, so... That's where it, it's helped me out, and uh, there's there's just there's tons of anecdotes that uh, that I've got shaped in my head that that maybe we can do on another podcast. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. That that uh, you know, only your lessons learned. Your lessons learned are oftentimes more important than the original result because your lessons learned show context, and your lessons learned show potential future badly. Mm. And so, when you have something that didn't go exactly how you did it. And in this corona environment, um, you're going to have a lot of things that didn't go the way you planned out six months ago or a year ago or five years ago. Um, you know, your, your Q2 revenues are probably not going to be what you planned them to be. However, 
Um, what can you learn from that and how do you grow from that? And don't just say, uh, you know, there, there was a recession or there was a lockdown or we had a global pandemic. Great. But how do you position yourself to be in a better position the next time that something that you didn't quite look for happened? Or how do you start uh, preparing yourself to have that agility of thought so when something comes up, you're one of those people that has a creative solution that can maybe help you and your team out. Mm. I'm just imagining this idea of like the round file. Well, that one goes in the round file. Didn't work. Maybe, <laughs> you know, what if we evolved our thinking to say like, I, I loved how you said there's value in the didn't works. And if, what if we saw those things as sacred? Like, like we, we there was an economic cost to that lesson learned, but instead of throwing it in the round file and saying, move on, what if we tried to put that away so that, you know, six years later we can pull it out and go, Hey, what if Viagra worked for that? Like, you know, we're, we're seeing that already that these things that maybe didn't work the first time or for the application we thought they did, maybe they have value here. And yeah, somebody who's listening needs to put that to work that there is value in your didn't works and not to scrap it, but somehow retain those notes, retain that learning don't don't discard that stuff and just chalk it up to recession. And that was a bad time of our life. There's critical, valuable stuff happening right now in every business, in every sphere that we can learn from that's going to help us in the future. So, so good. Man, we could keep going forever. And I'm dying to know, so I'm going to ask you, but you can just say no comment. There's stuff flying around. People are sending me videos and saying, like, there's UFOs. Did you see this latest one? The Pentagon said it. Did you build those or did you not build those? That's just what I want to know. That stuff that everybody... So I, can, it, I can either confirm or deny that things that I may or may not have built have been on a video or not a video. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, what I will say is that... Uh, this kind of goes back to the, the um, I don't think that I actually said it was in one of my notes that I was going to talk to is that in general, um, it's the, the line from Tommy Lee Jones in uh, uh, Bad Boys, or sorry. Uh, Men in Black? Wolf, Wolf, Men in Black, where he goes, a person is a rational thinking creature. People in a herd can be stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I know I messed up that quote, but, but it's that concept though of, um, you know, you can, if you take a look at things and go rationally, it kind of makes sense. Or, you know, if you're going to look at the video and go, man, you know, how could something go hypersonic speeds with that level of agility, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, there are plenty of places that you can look, whether it's online, whether it's through PhD articles, whether it's your library, whether it's through people that you may know who've worked on things like that in the past. Um, there's, there's the sensationalistic aspect that people can go down, which generally gets us in trouble, I think, uh, no matter what it is. And then there's the kind of measured sober response of, you know, well, let me take a look at this then. Um, I'm not going to tell you that there aren't aliens. Uh, I don't know. But what I will say is be prepared for what may or may not come next and be able to say, I don't know what happens. <laughs> I love it. We can leave it at that. Oh, it's so good. I mean, yeah, there's a billion questions that makes me want to ask. I will say this to those people, just to wrap it up, you know, there's a young leader in California, somebody in Washington in the Midwest, and they're just, they're nervous. They don't have Warren Buffett's, you know, ability to shift stuff around. They're really, they're really uncertain and they're trying to make the best decisions they can. 
just send us out of here with like, hey, in 20 years of serving in some really unstable parts of the world, doing some really difficult things, seeing us work ahead of the curve on some other things. Are you hopeful Mm -hmm. now? Like what, what should our, you know, I'm thinking faith, hope, and love, you know, you mentioned prayer. Like what are the things right now that we should all say, Hey, at the end of the night, take a deep breath. And from a guy who's been all over the world and knows a whole bunch, just kind of speak to us at that like pastoral level about how we can enter our Friday and our weekend. Sure. Um, I'll take a hack at it at least. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that I've learned is, is that um, everything really is local, man. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've dealt with tribes in Afghanistan and I've dealt with people who were, you know, farmers in West Africa who were working with the Peace Corps. And I've dealt with, you know, small orphanages on mission trips and I've been a lot of places and I've been blessed with a lot of different things in my life. And what I would say is just own where you're at right now. And, and I, I don't know if I can explain that or, or emphasize that well enough own where you're at. You're in a place right now for whatever reason, but you're interacting with people, whether it's your family, your coworkers, your church, your neighborhood homeowners association, your city council, you know, the guy at the grocery store. When you work locally and you can show people that you care locally, um, the ROI on that's huge. We talked about touches with, with my kids. A two minute touch to my kids shows love and can, can go another daddy works three hours, but you know what? He stopped me. helping with my homework. Um, you know, giving that, you know, a little bit to that, you know, person in your church who may be, you know, kind of underappreciated and lonely right now because they're stuck in their apartment for two months straight. Um, you know, by, by reaching out to people at the community, at the local level, at the, you know, what you can do with where you're at, that's probably the biggest thing because you're, most people are never going to be a position where they can be a president or a leader of the UN or a CEO of a multinational organization with 100,000 employees. But everyone has been given some ownership of some piece, whether it's just you and your family, whether whether you're a 16-year-old you know, high school student, you just own what you're supposed to be studying and the responsibility you have. Own that. And 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 uh, the, I use a term from kind of industry, grok that. Like, know everything there is to know about that and work through that mm-hmm. and pray through that and grow on that. And don't worry about those things that, that you may not be prepped for or that aren't on your plate yet or that you saw on the news or that you read in the paper or that you think may happen in five years. Own where you're at mm-hmm. and start using that as the base to grow on whether it's your relationships, whether it's your job, whether it's planning for the future. Own where you're at. Hmm. Man, I don't know that there's anything sweeter and it comes from a guy who's like peering into UFOs and way out in the, the into the distance. And that I'm, I mean that because if I say that, you know, people go, well, yeah, but you haven't looked around the corner. And I go, no, you just heard a guy whose whole life is he's he's the futures chief. He he lives to look around the corner and he just told you own your local space own that grow there learn there and that i think that's how we meet the future right like i think that is how we wake up one day and we're in the future and so man you are a gift and you're a great friend and you've given us a ton to think about and pray about i just want to say thank you because you've paid a price your family has moves travels you know life deferred all that in order to show up and go to work so that people who are doing really hard jobs in really dangerous places and conditions 
do it well so that we can have conversations like that. That's not lost on me. And there's a real, there's an actual cost to that. So thank you for that and for all the studying and the PhD papers and all of the stuff. And I think it's important, especially because, and I want to say it again, you're a guy I know and I trust and I would trust with my wife and my kids. And right now, that's just important to me to know that it's you're prayerful and you're not going to get it right every time, but you're the one who's going to work thinking about these things. And that's, I think as a culture, we've got to arc back towards that place where we get to know the people who are making really big decisions and we know them and, and we get to put people in positions like that, that we can trust. And you're one of those people. So run for office or whatever next. And I'm in, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I, I actually love that I was able to do this today. Thank you for this. I know that we've been, we've been talking about it for a little while and uh, I mean, just being able to uh, just, talking through these things has been kind of sweet for me on, on stuff that may haven't been pulled out of my head in the way that you pulled it out. And, and if it can be useful to, to you and, and anyone that's uh, listening and be an encouragement, then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stoked about that. And, um, yeah, thank you. Cool. Let me take us out of here with a little bit of an outro. Please tell your family hello and that we're grateful and that we do mean that when we say thank you for serving and serving all of us. It's Your life is for the sake of others, and it's pretty pretty amazing to be in that wake. So I'll take us out of here, and we'll catch up. Thank you for listening. Make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Lab the Podcast. You can rate and review us there. And then follow me at Zach J. Elliott or on my website, www.zachjelliot.com. I'll see you again for our next lab session. And until then, here's to more life and more beauty.